0: Singapore Decides, a post-presidential election special. I'm Ryan Huang. We are unpacking the latest from the elections together with two special guests in the studio. Eugene Tan, former Nominated Member of Parliament, as well as Assistant Professor of Law at SMU, as well as Dr. Gillian Koh, Senior Research Fellow at the Institute of Policy Studies. And we are now taking a look at the eligibility criteria. Of course, we had a fourth person in the mix earlier on, George Koh. Some people had hoped that he would qualify. Is there a sense among the electorate, Eugene, that they... Perhaps want a bigger pool of candidates for future elections. Is there a need for them to maybe review who can take part in the elections so that
1: people have more choices? Voters will certainly want to be able to cast their ballots, right? So all all they need is at least uh, two two candidates. But the way the institutional designers have designed the the, the elected presidency, um, you know, I think the view taken is that there needs to be pre qualification because of the custodial powers that the president well exercised and so that, that the, the criteria put there for the public and the private sectors uh, are really proxy indicators, uh, you know, of a person's experience and ability, uh, you know, to, to get uh, the, the job done. Uh, so I think, you know, people will continue to disagree as to whether there should be pre-qualification but the, the Constitutional Commission in 2016 had explained why, um, you know, they had raised the criteria Um, I would say that, yes, you know, the criteria tends to favour, in a way, uh, you know, public sector uh, hopefuls. But I I think in the end, no one is going to say that, um, you know, the PEC uh, had been unfair, Hmm. uh, you know, if they didn't issue someone with um, a certificate of eligibility.
0: Okay, June, bringing you into the conversation. Now, there's been perceptions that perhaps the PEC or the presidential elections committee you know, could have been more independent. How do you manage these expectations? Is there a way to, I guess, make more people happy?
2: <laughs> okay, make more people happy. Well, I think Eugene spelt out the reasons why there is uh, a set of eligibility criteria the PEC comprises of people who are by profession needing to be independent. They are senior civil servants and they are judges. There's nobody else in Singapore who is required required by profession and therefore clearly of that mindset to be independent. So I I, I dare not question their independence. Third, that criteria that Eugene reminded us of. In addition, there are several other parts of it is are clearly set out. There are two. There are automatic tracks for the private sector and the public sector candidates, but there's the deliberative track as well. I think that's what you're getting at, Ran. And so were, was the PC a bit too strict in assessing Mr. George Goh's eligibility, for instance? And Eugene, remember Mr. George Goh actually said when he received the result that he was not eligible, he actually questioned whether it was a fair decision. But we knew even at the point where we learned that Mr. George Goh was going forward with the candidacy, that there is nothing within even the deliberative tracks that allow for an aggregation of the companies that a prospective candidate has run before in order to match up with the criteria of the automatic private sector track, which is that the person must prove to have executive decision-making power over a company that has shareholder equity of at least $500 million. So from the get-go, we were already very uncertain that he could make it put it that way, anybody reading the text would know that. There is an aggregation of time or three years is the minimum and the deliberative track actually spells out how you can aggregate time but it does not set out how you can aggregate the, the size of the company. Mm. And you know the good thing about this process that we've been through in 2023 is that when Mr Go actually questioned the fairness of that deliberation, the PEC by guidelines should not actually give out the reasons for rejection but drew on a provision that if there were allegations that it had been unfair that they could share the communication that they had made to George Go as to how they actually tried this way and that way to get him through and still they could not convince themselves that any one company was similar or that they could actually add up because it was just not the idea of needing to run a very large entity. I think the point is this. In 1991, we changed the constitution in order to allow the president to have custodial powers to manage the reserves. And since then, the the reserves have grown enormously, to everyone's credit who is in charge of that system. But it also means that if the president has to be able to say, yay or nay, to spending this or look at fifth schedule entities and see their budgets and whether it means that they will erode those reserves, then this person really has that one key power and should be competent enough to do that. So your short answer is if you really don't like it, you'll need to change it in the constitution. But the current status does make sense based on what is the key power That uh, the president has.
0: Okay, the other big talking point that also involved the PEC involved Mr. Tan Kin Dian. And this was even before the campaign trail started. There was controversy over social media posts by Mr. Tan Kin Dian, which led to an outcry by some members of the public calling for the PEC to disqualify Mr. Tan. And that's after the LGBT certificate was issued. So the PEC did say they were not aware of these posts uh, and they would then leave it to the electorate to decide. What's your take on that approach? Was there a better way to manage this?
1: Unfortunately, the PC was uh, required by the constitution, uh, you know, to determine, you know, whether an applicant for a certificate of eligibility, you know, has good character. Uh, integrity and reputation. And unless, you know, there was evidence, uh, you know, provided by the candidate, you know, or evidence that is in the public domain, you know, such as court judgments or criminal prosecution, there was actually little for the PEC to go by. Uh, There isn't a mechanism even for the public to tender evidence, let's say. So I have said before that this is a requirement that I don't think the PEC should be asked to verify. Hmm. Uh, You know, and In a way, the PEC has said, you know, well, you voters... Just decide based on on whether evidence is there. Uh, some people have said that you know maybe the PC should have looked through all their social media posts. You know, but I think that would be almost an impossible task, right? You would be looking at thousands and thousands of posts. Uh, you know, and and not just that TikTok videos, public speeches, you know, newspaper interviews. Um, I don't think there's an end to it. Um, so I, I would say that you know, perhaps the PC should just look at the experience and ability. You know, and leave uh, you know the the issue of integrity, good character, and reputation. To the electorate, and, and I think during the course of the campaigning, you know, voters saw whether you know a candidate had integrity, good character, and reputation. Mm.
0: Yeah, on that point, some analysts have said, you no, know, it's not criminal to post about pretty girls. <laughs> Julian, what's your thought? Should there have been a mechanism for people to protest or these submit so-called evidence?
2: I think let me react to this question or respond to it by looking at how elections have been carried out on born out in other jurisdictions. And when you left it to voters, um, misogynists actually got voted into the highest uh, office of the land in a very, very large major power. So you can let it run uh, uh, openly and you should not assume that good sense will prevail. I mean, I come from um, uh, a position of social consciousness and I don't think that even the president-designate would... Uh, be able to overlook misogyny. So I think this is quite important. So um, different from Eugene, I would double down on the character requirement and I would do one thing among a couple of things and really recommend that there should be a mechanism that ELD allows for that PEC is supported with for a time in which people, members of the public, can forward what they think would be very substantial and uh, convincing evidence that uh, somebody who's made known he would run is not of good character, reputation and integrity. Mm. But it does mean this, run. It does mean that we have to change the timeline of this whole process. We have to make sure that there is enough time for people to say that they are prospective candidates, for them to submit their applications and for the PEC to receive this public feedback. So there are two things that need to be done. Uh, Really um, consider the need to gather public feedback and to consider uh, a a sort of more formalised timeline that allows for some time for uh, 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 this feedback to be uh, surrendered or, or uh, put forward. I think that's that's quite important because ultimately this is a direct election and therefore it's a direct election for head of state with certain requirements, which has to be very, very uh, a dignified uh, person has to be there. So I think we, we cannot... Let go of that
0: Yeah That's a very interesting idea Extending the timelines Having more mechanisms In place To make sure What you you Are trying to put up On stage Or for the elections Is what you want Um, Eugene Was Jiden's Argument convincing for you?
1: Well, I I think this is one where reasonable people will, will disagree, uh, you know, as as to the mechanism. I, I just think that it comes, it puts an onerous uh, responsibility, you know, on the PEC, which I don't think they will ever be able to discharge. So even if they receive all the tender submissions, right, that relate to a person's uh, integrity, character and reputation,
2: how are they going to assess? Um, I think it's not fail-safe, but certainly it provides one kind of point of review and ultimately like voters will have to decide but we also know that sometimes voters will decide for various other reasons uh, and, and we've seen elsewhere so we allow for that but would we make some provision for the pc to at least receive what may be uh, consequential
1: yeah. material? I, I suppose, you know, the in, in the end, because I feel that it's going to be an onerous responsibility that can never be properly discharged, um, you know, that we should leave it to the voters. And I think voters made their own assessments, you know, as to Mr Tan's views on on, on, on taking photos of girls of, uh, and, and posting, you know, uh, whatever he had posted. I, I thought voters made up their minds as well. And and I think voters certainly should have that autonomy and that agency to decide.
0: Yeah, definitely a very interesting discussion point. Looking at perhaps the safeguards or guardrails for these elections. And I guess only time to tell what will play out. A big thank you to our experts. Eugene Tan, Associate Professor of Law at the Singapore Management University, also former nominated Member of Parliament. Thank you, Eugene. And also Dr. Jillian Koh, Senior Research Fellow at the Institute of Policy Studies. Thank you so much for your time, Julian.
2: Thanks for the opportunity. I really enjoyed talking to Eugene and to you.
1: To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O,
2: audio at the App Store and Google Play.